Our scripture reading this morning is from Acts chapter 21, verses 1 through 14. And when we had parted from them and set sail, we came by a straight course to Kos, and the next day to Rhodes, and from there to Patera. And having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. When we had come in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre. For there the ship was to unload its cargo. And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. And through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. When our days there were ended, we departed and went on our journey. And they all, with wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside the city. And kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another. Then we went on board the ship, and they returned home. When we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemais, and we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. On the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea, And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. I remember as a uh, freshman in high school, I was running on our cross-country team. I grew up in eastern Oregon, but the big meet of the year for us was to come to Boise, and run at Ann Morrison Park. It's a big deal coming from Little Burns, right? Well, I'd been running all season, but my, I was having some pain in my leg. But I thought, no, I want to run this race. And I'm going to finish it no matter what. I started running, and it didn't take very long before my leg started to really hurt. But I was determined to finish, so I kept running and running, and I was limping my way along the course. I remember at one point I had to jump across a little creek, a little ditch, and I was trying to figure out how to do it, and I ended up, I knew I couldn't run off the leg that was hurting, so I jumped off the other leg and landed on it, and it was awkward. I almost fell, and it was just a very difficult run, and I limped my way, but I knew I had to finish. I got all the way to the end, and I crossed the finish line, and I collapsed. I couldn't walk. Went to the doctor, an orthopedic specialist. He said, well, the reason it hurt is because you have a stress fracture, a broken leg, and it's all the way through your tibia, just below the knee, and that's why it hurts so badly. (laughs) I had several months of walking on crutches, keeping my weight off it, but I was determined to finish that race. (laughs) As we... Look at our passage today. Paul is determined to go to Jerusalem. 
He's convinced that God wants him to go there, and he is going to go no matter what. In last week's passage that Rod taught, in chapter 20, verse 22 of Acts, Paul said this, And now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value nor is precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. He's convinced he needs to go, and yet many along the way, as we'll see in our passage today, are trying to persuade him not to go. Don't finish the race. It's too painful. You'll face suffering. Don't go. (laughs) But he's determined to go. And so as I look at this passage, it raises two questions that I'd like to address this morning. One is, how did Paul get that kind of determination, a, a commitment that even though it would cause suffering in his own life, he was going to finish his course, he would follow the Lord, he would do what he believed God was calling him to do? And secondly, how can we be of a support to one another, a good support to one another, as we each are running the race and trying to figure out how to follow the Lord and live for Him, how can we support each other maybe in a more effective way than we're doing now? So let's pray and we'll look at the passage together. Lord, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for this book of Acts that shows how the Spirit is moving and living and acting and uh, causing the church to be established and built all over the Roman world. And as we look at Paul's life today and his determination to finish the race, may it inspire in our own hearts by the power of you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to live out our calling as well, to run the race to the very, very end. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, In this passage, we see Paul moving from uh, Miletus, where he's met with the Ephesian elders, and he's moving, and he takes the ship, and I want to show you a map of where he traveled all the way across to what is Lebanon today, Syria, it's called in the New Testament, to Tyre, Ptolemais, and then to Caesarea, and in the end of our passage, he's in Jerusalem. The end of his third missionary journey. I want to show you the first place he goes to is Tyre. And here's a picture of Tyre today. It's a beautiful city in Lebanon. It was a major Roman port of the day. And it's a place where there was clearly, as we look in the text, a church established. Now, we don't really know how that church got established. It was, there was scattering of the disciples after the... Uh, persecution of Stephen back in chapter 7, chapter 8. So perhaps it was that. But I kind of like to think that maybe the church in Tyre got established back in Mark chapter 7 where Jesus goes to Tyre, we're told, and there he meets a Gentile woman. Remember? And her daughter had an unclean spirit. And she says, please cast out this this unclean spirit out of my daughter. And Jesus says, hey, 
you know, it's not for you. We don't give the food to the dogs. It's a harsh statement. And she said, well, even the dogs eat the crumbs under the table. And he said, your faith, your faith has caused me to heal your daughter. I like to think that was the establishment, the beginnings of the church entire as Jesus himself brought grace and then later the gospel was expanded and we see here as in verse 4 it says and having sought out the disciples so they gathered there entire we stayed there for seven days and through the spirit they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem now if you look back at what Paul said in chapter 19 and 20 for example 1921 Paul said this, After these events, Paul resolved in the Spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem, saying, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. He believed the Spirit was telling him to go on. Now the Spirit seems to be telling the people of Tyre, tell Paul not to go on. Now, I don't know about you, but that's a little confusing to me. So let me tell you what I think is going on, and I think most scholars would agree with this. I think what the Spirit was telling, and we'll see this later in the passage, what the Spirit was telling the people was, Paul is going to suffer if he goes on to Jerusalem. I think they were interpreting that as, wow, if he's going to suffer, we should try to keep him from going. Because we need to avoid suffering at all costs. And then you have this beautiful tender scene at the end of the story where all the disciples come together with their wives and children and they pray with Paul on the beach. It's a beautiful picture. Walking out of town with him, there's a deep love that's been established with Paul in only seven days of being together. I I love the sweet community and fellowship that you see that's happened already and how they care for him and they don't want him to suffer. And then he goes on to Caesarea, verses 7 through 12, 1st Ptolemais. Here's a picture of Caesarea today. And you can see it's, it's really a vast complex. It was a beautiful palace and a vast Roman complex, streets, colonnades, etc. It's really a fabulous ruin even today to go visit. There's so much there. And I want to show you a picture of the disciples that were there that met with him. <laughs> oh, wait, that's us. Sorry. When we went this summer, those of us who went. Caesarea was a fabulous place. Herod had built it. He built a huge, complex, wonderful harbor there. And we're told in this passage that in this city is where Philip ended up. Philip, and he has his four daughters, his family there. Do you remember who Philip is? Philip was one of the seven that got chosen to serve tables back in Acts chapter 6. And he was chosen because he was a godly man. And then he was scattered because of the persecution and went up and shared the gospel with Samaritans. And then he was called down to share the gospel with the Ethiopian eunuch on the road down south towards Africa. And he baptized him. And then the Spirit transported him to north to Azotus. And then we're told way back earlier in Acts that he ended up in Caesarea. Now, 20 years later, Philip the Evangelist is still there, part of the church, growing a family, four daughters who prophesy in this place, in this place of Caesarea where 
the world was so evident all around them because of what Herod had built in this bastion of Roman power. There was a wonderful little community, a small band of godly disciples. And I love that picture because I think that's what we are called to be. We've lived in a country who has been supportive of our Christian faith for many, many years, but it's becoming less and less so. And so we are needing to see ourselves as a band of people that are called to live counterculturally, to live as a community of faith in the midst of an ungodly culture. What does that mean? It means we have to live in this world, right? But it means if you're a soccer mom or you're a working mom or dad or whatever you might be doing or you're a student or whether you're retired that wherever situation you find yourself you are called to live out your faith counterculturally to be a place where Jesus is living out through you the gospel so the world around you can begin to see there's something different than what they're trying to live which will never work Quick comment about prophets here because we run into several. Philip's daughters and then Agabus shows up and gives a prophecy. Why don't we see prophets today as much? Well, I think in the Old Testament, prophets brought the word of God to the people. They challenged the people to come back to God often. In the New Testament, you have more prophets because you didn't have the written New Testament yet, and so they were bringing direct revelation from God. But now that we have the New Testament, I think the way prophets function primarily today is taking the Word of God and applying it in a broad way to the culture, declaring God's sovereignty over the world. These are people who just don't necessarily teach through passages as much as speak more broadly to the culture. And Agabus is one of those here in the New Testament. And in verse 11, notice what he brings to Paul. Coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, this is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. He brings a message that Paul will be bound, and he decides to illustrate it by actually taking Paul's belt off him and binding himself. Now, if you have a message for someone, I don't encourage you to take their belt off. That might be a little awkward, okay? (laughs) But it was very descriptive, wasn't it? As he tied his own hands and feet and said, this is what's going to happen to the owner of this belt. And notice what happens in verse 12, how the disciples interpret that message from the Spirit. When we heard this, We, being Luke, the disciples traveling with Paul, and all the disciples there in Caesarea, in this church there, when we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Think about that for a minute. The message they've gotten is, this man, if he goes, is going to suffer. The way they interpreted it, the way they applied that message from the Spirit was to say, well, therefore, we need to keep Paul from going. Why would they do that? Because for them, you see, the greater value was comfort. Comfort. We need to 
help Paul avoid suffering because suffering is bad and therefore our highest value is comfort, avoiding suffering. It's a philosophy that says comfort is more important than the kingdom. Suffering is bad, so you better do everything you can to avoid it, Paul. Now think about that. That makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, every one of us, by God, is given this instinct of survival, (laughs) you know, that says, hey, if something's going to hurt, I probably should avoid that (laughs) for my own survival. So that's natural for us. We don't we don't seek out pain. We don't seek out suffering. And it's the philosophy of this world that gets thrown in our faces constantly, isn't it? Hey, you should not hurt ever. And so if you hurt, if there's any pain in your life, you need to get out of it. You need to change your situation. You need to move. You need to take a pill. You need to find some way to relieve the pain because the pain is the enemy. So avoid pain at all costs. Avoid suffering at all costs. If you need to be distracted, there's many ways to be entertained so you won't have to think about suffering or pain. You can simply avoid it completely. But what if, what if, brothers and sisters, what if God told the people of Tyre and the people of Caesarea that Paul was going to suffer, not so they could try to talk him out of it, but so they could support him in the midst of it. See, I think that's what's going on here. I think they were supposed to encourage him on the way and give him strength and support for what he was about to face. I think they're misinterpreting the Spirit's message because their values were a little bit upside down. Comfort was first. Avoiding suffering was first rather than kingdom first. Why do I say that? Look at Paul's response in verse 13. Then Paul answered, What are you doing? Speaking to all of the disciples there that are trying to talk him out of going. What are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? For I'm ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. What are you doing, brothers and sisters? Why are you trying to talk me out of going? I'm following my calling. And the fact you're trying to dissuade me from following the calling that God's given me breaks my heart, shatters my heart. Rather than feeling supported in what God's calling him to do, he's feeling pulled and torn apart by trying to please the Lord and yet follow what his friends want. You see, when we put comfort above God's kingdom, either for ourselves or for someone else that we care about, we'll not only misinterpret what God's saying, I think, (laughs) but we'll make it much harder for others to live fully for the gospel, to finish the race that God's given them to run. When we put comfort first, like the world around us does, we do harm to the gospel. Remember as my early years of ministry, I'd gone through some really difficult things, and it was hard. And I was trying to figure out the next step, and 
My dad came to me, and uh, my dad was great, but not a believer at the time. He later came to Christ at age 72. But at this point, he was not a believer, and he came to me and he said, you know, I know ministry's been really hard. And he always had a hard time with me being in ministry. <laughs> and he said, I know ministry's been hard, and you know what? I, I think now would be the time for you to, to go get some other training and get a different career. And in fact, I would be glad to help you financially if you chose to do that, to go back to school and do something else. Now, that sounds supportive, but it broke my heart because I had a clear calling from God, a calling into ministry, and yet he was trying to dissuade me from going that direction. So I identify some with how Paul must have felt here as the believers were saying, don't go, Paul, don't go. And he's saying, I have to go. God's called me to go. And they're trying to dissuade him. Do we subtly or directly try to get people to take the easy route? And if we do, I think sometimes we do that because of our own issues. <laughs> we don't want to see someone else suffer. We don't want to see a friend that we love or a family member hurting. But Paul's response is, I'm ready to not only be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem. I'm called to go, and if I suffer, I suffer. But my goal is to finish the race. My goal is to finish the calling of what God has given me to do, and that's the most important thing in my life that's more important than comfort, than taking the easy way. What about us? Where are we tempted to put comfort above the kingdom? I think this is a tension we face all the time. My son, Jeremy, and his family, his wife, Becca, and four little girls went overseas two years ago. We sent them out as a church. They've been in the Middle East learning Arabic, looking for a long-term assignment. They're almost done with their two years of language training. And they've been looking for what their permanent assignment will be, and it came down to two choices. For one, they could stay in the city where they are, where they've been for two years, where they have a great house to live in, where they have a good school for their girls to go to, where they have a supportive environment, and they have good ministry to do. Their other choice is to move to another country where they would be working in a third world situation, very poor, no good schools, but they would be doing what they felt called to do years ago when they began this process, which was working with displaced people. Well, the choice, I think, was not that hard for them. They're going to the displaced people group where they can share the gospel and walk alongside him and live with them. It's going to be hard. But because their goal that God had called them to was very clearly to work with the displaced refugee population, then the suffering is not that big a deal. I mean, yes, they're going to have to deal with it. They have to anticipate it. But it doesn't dissuade them from going. I don't know what God is calling you to do that might be difficult, that might mean stepping out of your comfort zone. It might be simply sharing Jesus with a friend or coworker or a family member. 
It might be stepping into ministry with refugees right here in Boise. It might be going overseas, perhaps. <laughs> it might mean stepping into some kind of other ministry that'll upset your life in some way. It'll be difficult. It might mean stepping in with people that are really different from you. I remember teaching a Bible study one time, and, and there was this tension going on. It was multi-generational And I remember the students that were part of it were saying, you know, it's so hard for me to relate to to the young families because they have young kids and all they talk about is I can't get any sleep and I got to change diapers and it's it's just really hard for me to understand them. (laughs) And the young families were saying, students don't get it. Having tests is not real life. We're living real life. And those older people, you know, all they talk about is their health. (laughs) And the older people are saying, you know, we've walked this race a long time, and it's kind of hard to relate to what the students are going through. We were there, and we were there with young families, but, but we're in a different phase now. And it struck me that if we are going to be a multi-generational church, which I believe God has called Cole to be, where we have people of all different ages, different backgrounds, different races, different cultures coming together and learning to love each other. It means all of us are going to be somewhat uncomfortable. (laughs) It means we're going to be sitting under maybe a worship style that's not exactly what we would choose. Because It's a worship style that appeals to other generations than ours. You see, if we're going to be the kind of church God calls us to be, it means that we need to be willing to be uncomfortable for the sake of the kingdom and reach across the aisle to people that are different from us and learn to build relationships and invite them over, even though they're in a completely different world than we are, and learn to enter their world. That, I think, is what God has called us to here at Cole Community Church. And every time we choose to die to ourselves and to die to comfort for the sake of the kingdom, we are expanding the kingdom of God in our hearts and in the circle of our relationships. And I don't know about you, but I want to do that. I want to finish my course. I want to run the race, even if it means being uncomfortable. I hope you do too. Now, I want to say a couple of things. As I've thought about this, I just kind of wrestled with this. Why was Paul able to face into suffering and not avoid it when everyone around him was saying, avoid it, avoid it, avoid it, don't go? Well, I want to highlight four things I think help us to keep the kingdom first rather than comfort. I think, number one, we need to embrace a truly Christian view of death. A truly Christian view of death. Paul expresses it very clearly in Philippians 1.21. For me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, if you've studied Christian theology, if you've been around the church for, for a while, your, your theology is probably pretty good up here. 
In other words, you know when I die, I'm going to go to heaven. It's going to be great. I get to be with Jesus. So it's great. But I think many of us have a practical theology, the way we live our lives, a lot like the world around us, which is we live as though death is the greatest enemy and we need to avoid it at all costs. We've got to do everything we can to avoid it and we want to avoid thinking about it. So we push it to the edges of our world. We try to avoid it. We try to stay as healthy as we can. We do everything we can to avoid death. And I think in the end, we end up, like the world around us, enslaved to the fear of death, which is talked about in Hebrews chapter 2, where it says Jesus died on the cross to defeat death and to free those who all their lives have been enslaved by the fear of death. That's our world. But brothers and sisters, we should have a different theology. We should have no fear of death at all. (laughs) Bring it on. I get to go be with Jesus. Why would I be afraid of that? And that will help us, I think, face into suffering and follow Paul's footsteps in running the race to the end. Secondly, I think what I see in Paul is that we, we need to embrace a truly Christian view of suffering. A truly Christian view of suffering. You see, the world says suffering is to be avoided at all costs. The Bible tells us suffering is a gift to us. Suffering is the very tool that chisels away our dependence on ourselves so that we can live more fully for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Scripture tells us that suffering is the kind of gift that we actually can exult in. Romans 5, verse 3. And we exult in our tribulations, trials, suffering, knowing that our tribulations produce proven character, perseverance. Perseverance produces proven character and proven character hope. It changes us. It transforms us. And so, therefore, we don't have to be afraid of the difficulties that come into our lives. We don't seek them. There's no, we don't have to seek suffering, right? It'll come our way. But we don't have to be afraid of it. And not only does suffering transform us, but it's actually the way, biblically, the kingdom comes into the world. That's how it came. Jesus showed us that. How did he bring the kingdom? Through suffering on the cross. How do we bring in the kingdom in our worlds? By being willing to walk through suffering. As Paul's walking to Jerusalem, as he's taking this trip to Jerusalem, he eventually brings the gospel to Rome and beyond. God uses suffering to expand his kingdom. Now let me just say, having a Christian view of suffering doesn't mean you seek it out. And in fact, it doesn't mean you don't alleviate pain in a reasonable way. I get severe headaches, as many of you know, and I take a pill to kill the pain. It's okay. That's a gift from God as well. You don't seek it out, and if you can reasonably alleviate it, that's fine. But we don't avoid pain and suffering in a way that causes us to not live for the kingdom. That's the danger that we always have to watch out for. Third, I see in Paul that we need to desire something more than comfort. Paul talks about that. I desire to know Jesus 
and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, Philippians chapter 3. He desires something more than comfort, and therefore he's able to live for the gospel. Let me give you a really, really practical example. (laughs) Many of you have kids or grandkids that you try to get them to eat their vegetables, right? You need to eat your vegetables. Well, you know what they're thinking is, if they're even thinking this, I don't like vegetables. That makes me uncomfortable to eat vegetables. I'm not eating my vegetables, period. And it's a battle. But if you say, well, if you want dessert, you need to eat your vegetables. You see, all of a sudden, they desire something more than the comfort of avoiding the vegetables. They desire the dessert. (laughs) And so they're willing to eat it. You see, I think that's similar for us. When we desire enough, yeah, I don't want to suffer, but if that's the way to finish my race and to live for you and bring in the kingdom and have you change my life and attain to the resurrection and experience your resurrection life in in my world, then I'm willing to suffer so I can finish my race. You have to desire something more than comfort if you're going to live for the kingdom first. And then finally, I think you need a clear sense of calling. Like Paul talks about here where he says, clearly in verse, chapter 20, verse 24, I do not account my life of any value or as precious to myself if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of his grace. When you have a sense that I have a, call, a purpose in God's plan, God's called me to run the race. I'm called to live that out. I have a purpose from God. Paul had a clear calling from God. But you, do you realize every one of you who knows Jesus has a clear calling from God? And you may not know exactly what that is, and I encourage you to pray about it and consider it. Now, maybe just to devote yourself to your family and love them well right now. It may be to love your roommate and get through school and take your tests. It may be in your retired life to figure out how God wants you to serve. I love the fact that there's a number of retired folks in our church who are constantly looking for ways to serve God with whatever time they have. There's a group who gathers furniture to give to refugees and they store it here and then they deliver it and they're constantly working and you know what these are older guys and gals and their bodies are breaking down and it's not easy but they're willing to do it because they feel called from God to minister in that way and I don't know what situation you are in but I encourage you to pray to God and say what is your what is your calling for me And how can I run the race? How can I live for the kingdom rather than comfort right where you've placed me? Just a couple final thoughts here. We saw how the people were trying to persuade Paul not to go. That was not helpful. It broke his heart. (laughs) So what would have been a better response? Well, I think they responded pretty well, actually, in the end. One of the things they did is they provided hospitality for him along the way. They loved him well along the way. They built a relationship with him and encouraged him along the way. And that's what we should do, express our love for those that are seeking to run the race and follow the Lord in their journey. And in verse 5 and 14, 
you see them praying with and for Paul. When our days were ended, we departed and went on our journey, and they all, with wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside the city, and kneeling down on the beach, we prayed. Verse 14, and since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. They prayed for him. They committed him to the Lord's will. And I think we need to pray for one another as we're trying to run this race. It's not easy, and let's support one another as we do so. And then finally, I love these last couple verses. I haven't read them yet. Verse 15 and 16. After these days, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem. Luke is talking. And some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us, bringing us to the house of Nason of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we should lodge. I love the fact that though they didn't want to see Paul suffer, they actually, a number of them, went with him walked with him right into the place of suffering. One of the best things we can do is support one another and walk with one another through whatever suffering. I think we can help one another and run alongside as they're running the race and cheer them on. You can do it. You can finish the race as opposed to say, quit now. There's a nice chair over here like they were doing. Right? Let's be an encouragement to one another. We've all been called to run the race. And you may feel like you're limping pretty badly. (laughs) That's okay. We can still finish the race. And we've already been told it's going to involve suffering. So let's not only complete the race we've been given, but let's be a blessing to one another, cheering each other on, encouraging one another, walking with one another, praying for one another, until we all (laughs) make it to the finish line, shall we? Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this example of Paul that is in some ways mind-boggling that he was willing to suffer for the kingdom. May we be people that have a robust view of death and suffering and a clear sense of calling that we might live out the kingdom right where we are, where you've placed us, that we might live out our calling, that we might be willing to not live for comfort, but for your kingdom. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.